This episode is brought to you by Creative Itch. Creative Itch specializes in getting exposure for independent artists, writers, and authors. They also specialize in arranging book signings, school or library events, or other functions pertaining to the arts. If you are interested in seeing what they can do for you, visit them at creative-edge.com. Mouth of Monster. I'm your host, Monster Dugan. Today we're back basically with our second season. I uh, didn't get a chance to really uh, put an end episode on our first season, but we've been out of commission for a couple of months now, uh, but we're back. I'm in full force. I have a couple of changes I wanted to announce. Sarah Gregory, my co-host, she is still with the show. However, she has not been on it for quite a while and she will return at some point. But with that said, I have a new co-host, John. I don't want to butcher your last name. I'm horrible with stuff, but uh, Shatzer. Yeah, you got it. All right. Awesome. And uh, he's my co-host from the uh, Shitty Shark Show podcast we do, too. So if you haven't checked that one out, go ahead and you can find that on um, crappymoviereviews.com or Mm -hmm. on the page. And that's uh, John runs that stuff. So if you haven't caught us on the Shitty Shark Show, uh, go do that right now because that's a fantastic show. We've got a bunch of us knuckleheads over there always chuckling it up so you know it's a good time john is actually um going to be helping us edit for a little while here as well as um we have now departed from house of torture souls as they're no longer around the facebook page is still up but the uh, web pages uh went down unfortunately during this covid time with all that fun stuff so but anyways we're back and i uh, got a new episode today and we're gonna be uh having some fun Back into our normal format as we originally had planned. Those last shows were basically um, holiday shows and, and, and special occasion shows. So we kind of just dumped the format during that time. But now we're back to our regular uh, normal routine. So how are you doing, John? I'm doing all right. Just hanging out, having fun. Just so everybody knows I'm an old hand at this. been uh, podcasting and crap for God. I've been writing and talking movies and 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 my first fanzine that i contributed to was run on a mimeograph machine which most of you probably don't know what the hell that is um so i've been doing this a long time and i've run a couple of websites my current one like you said is crappy movie reviews uh done a lot of podcasts i have done a lot of the editing i do all the editing for uh shitty shark show and so yeah it should be fun yeah and i truly appreciate that man um uh, he does a fantastic job at, on the Shitty Shark Show. So like I say, go check that out if you haven't. His crappy movie reviews are amazing. So go check those out as well. I really enjoy working with him and I love uh, his his mind. He's got a great, great uh, you know, eye for films and things like that. And he's uh, even more knowledgeable than I am. So happy to have him here with me to help me out. So <laughs> that, that's a very nice way of saying I watch a lot of really shitty movies. <laughs> hey, so do, so do I. Though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and just in case anybody out there is listening, if you hear an occasional crinkle or squeak, it's because we have a third host, my little dog, Tony Pickles. I love yeah. that. <laughs> so, yeah, good times, man. Good times. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. This should be fun. All right. Now that we got all that out of the way, we're going to take one quick break here and we'll return with our, our first segment, Video Deadlies. <laughs> Mellow Coast is small time. We don't do murder. 
I'll scream. You'll scream. We'll all scream. Things want to be up so much, I just want to lash out and hurt someone. People are being murdered. It's Halloween. Nothing bad ever happens on Halloween. I scream on the beach. monster podcast we're heading into our first segment here uh, video deadlies this is a segment where we review a film either new or old or something somebody sent to us and today we have a, a special film we're looking at called on the trail of bigfoot it's the second film in the small town monster series it's not the second film in the series but it's the second bigfoot film in the series they have on the trail of champ on the trail of ufos a bunch of yeah this this is journey begins or something like that or the journey the journey and this is uh, directed by Seth Breedlove of Small Town Monsters, and they're just a fantastic group over there. He does a lot of great documentaries, one of the best cryptozoologist guys out there right now doing documentaries and whatnot. And this one was a little different. Normally, he's been having a Lyle Blackburn with him to narrate films, and he's, you know, he's had a big, a large crew going out doing stuff. But thanks to COVID and everything that hit, he wasn't able to get as many people out as normal, and his normal people like Shannon Legro and Lyle Blackburn, like I said. And some of the other people like Lauren Coleman as well. And so he um, went about it with him and just a couple of people. Mark, man, I always butcher people's last name. Mark uh, Matsy, I think it is. His son as well. They had another person with them too. I don't remember his name right off the bat. They basically just uh, went up to Ariandyk or Ar- Adirondack. Adirondack. The Adirondack mo- yeah. uh, Mountains. And he went back to upstate New York where... Was it Bray Road? It was the Bray Road Beast? I can't remember. The Beast of Whitehall. Beast of White, Whitehall. Yeah, he, he went back up to Whitehall and kind of revisited and talked to more people and got a little more in-depth than they did in the last one. Yeah, it was really great because um, he actually got a couple of interviews with some stories that uh, people haven't heard before. And I always love when he does that because uh, most of his documentaries, he gets people to talk. There's been a, a couple recently where, you know, there was just, they were just documentaries on the subject at hand and he didn't have any interviews or things like that. But this one, he actually got a couple of uh, really great interviews by some people that live up around there. Uh, what was the one? I always want to say uh, Kittermeister, but that's uh, in England. Kitter or something, kid something, the uh, town. Anyhow. Um, yeah, I'm terrible names too, dude. So yeah, I got, I'm uh, the if you're hoping I can bail you out, you're you're out of luck. <laughs> no, no, I wasn't. I wasn't hoping. I mean, no, I'm I'm horrible with names. And but uh, yeah, this was a, a fantastic film because uh, since he didn't have Lyle Blackburn with him, he had to narrate it himself. It's more of of a um, it's almost like an episode of like you know Finding Bigfoot or something like that. It, it was really a cool thing for him to go up there and do, where it's just basically. You know, him and the couple of guys, and they met up with some people up there as well that live up there. Uh, there's, man, I'm so horrible with names. The Missouri um, Missouri uh, Sasquatch crew up there. Oh, um, the Massachusetts one, because they ended up in Massachusetts. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah sorry. Massachusetts. Uh-huh. Yeah, because they, they, when he's up there in the mountains and stuff, as they do their investigations, they, they end up checking out. Because, like, if you look at the map where you think it's really far away, but I grew up, I, I well, yeah, I grew up in New England. The states are so tiny, you're on top of each other. Um he uh, connected with the Massachusetts Bigfoot guys, which I don't think anybody has ever in any of their documentaries talked to those dudes. So that was a completely new 
new group that he tapped into that no one's ever talked to. I, I don't at least just so you, everybody out there knows because you don't know me because I'm new here. But but I I watch Bigfoot documentaries obsessively. And I should also let everybody know I don't believe for one hot second that Bigfoot exists. But I love the idea of Bigfoot. And I love documentaries and I'm fascinated by it. I have been since when I grew up in the 70s in Boggy Creek and uh, Yvonne Marx's documentary. I love those things. I've always loved those things. And I love the mystery of it. So, yeah, he tapped into a whole new group and it was really cool. So I, I say that to say that I've seen a lot of these documentaries and this is what Seth does, is, which is great. He goes places and talks to people that you haven't seen a million times, which is I'm kind of I don't dislike Lyle. And I love Lauren Coleman, who is a really interesting dude. Um, but I was glad to see different people. Exactly. That's what I really loved. Uh, uh, he does it. He does his own thing, basically. And and that's what this one was. Uh, this film really hit home for me it was more of a personal film for him being that he's the, he was the narrator and the lead in the entire film as opposed to usually having some of his other buddies that are bigger names than him but it was just so personal and so intimate and i, I love how he tackled the question of bigfoot if it really did exist and and you know whether he believes it does or he you know if he doesn't i, I really love how he dealt he delved into all that and it was just cool because a lot of people don't talk about that stuff and you know, they always try to make it, you know, make it out like, oh, it might exist or whatever. But, he, you know, in the film, this is kind of a spoiler, not really. But he, you know, he admits at the end, you know, we've been out here for I think it was like five days or something like that. And he's like, we haven't seen anything. But that's but he's like, but once we got a real view of the area, he's like, it kind of shows you that what could be out there, what could be hiding and how easily it could hide from you and how you could not find it now. I'm not necessarily a believer in Bigfoot. Um, you know, I, I want to believe, as as it says in the X Files all the time, which I've been watching recently. But uh, I want to believe. But I'm kind of, uh, you know, kind of on the boat that it might not be something because, like, we haven't had any solid proof. And if you want to go the Holy Grail with the Patterson Gimlin film, that's, you know, that's great and all. But I don't necessarily buy that film either. Well, yeah, and some of the people that were involved in that film actually came out on their deathbed and were like, it was all a hoax. I, I love the idea of Bigfoot. I'm also I'm also a very logical person, and I don't expect somebody to have like hung out with Bigfoot and taken a bunch of pictures and selfies. But you know, at some point, with the way that we're encroaching on the woods, somebody would have hit one with a car. Um, you would have found some. Yeah. I mean, you know, spore, which is a fancy name for poop. Um, you know, they found all these hair samples, which they couldn't identify. And then they bring them in and somebody's like, no, that's a bear or that's a goat or that's a dog. So, I mean, you know, the best thing you can do is like, hear that knock. That knock was Bigfoot. Really, dude. Have you ever been in the woods? Like, seriously, yeah, there's all kinds of weird noises. You know, I, I swear to God, I would like say I watch a ton of these and I'm sitting there and the guy's like, hear that knocking, hear that knocking. And I'm like, holy shit, dude, that's a woodpecker. I hear that all the time. <laughs> yeah yeah i agree i mean like i said i want to believe but i don't necessarily believe there is anything because i think we would have uh you know found something or, or at least have some t sort of evidence now the thing what i wanted to say was there are a lot of films out there that are very questionable and arguable that they're mm -hmm. really not and some of them look like they honestly could be real but my thing about the bigfoot stuff is and that's what this movie really brought out in me and i wanted to address this was I think that with Bigfoot, people should start um, 
immediately like dismissing and debunking any anything that comes our way because the thing is is now is nobody believes any of it regardless of if something was real or not we wouldn't know if it was because nobody yeah. believes it so if we start yeah, just the interesting stuff gets lost in the stuff that's obviously crap exactly so if we just started counting everything as crap then we yeah. could probably find the gems as opposed to just taking everything and going well i don't you know blah 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 if we just automatically dismiss things and then later on we can go back and go, well, that one, you know, maybe that one could be real. But yeah. we've dismissed 30 other ones, just debunked them like that, you know, which was kind of what Seth almost did in this film by saying, like I said earlier, that, you know, they were up there for five days and he didn't see a thing, didn't hear a thing. There was one wood knock that could have been anything and he didn't know. And he even said, you know, for him in there, he he he, he feels like something could be in there and it could be real. But at the same time. He's been up there many a times and he's never seen anything. And this is something I wanted to say as well. Me and my brother have talked about this numerous times. And the thing about finding a real cryptid would be, you know, it's just, it's different because like, if you see it, or, I mean, nobody's going to believe you if you said you saw it or anything like that. Nobody's going to believe if it was, you know, if it was something anyways. So, I mean, Credible witnesses are, are hard to find. He did have some great uh, interviews, though, with some people, some older people, uh, you know, that had stuck to their stories for years. And I always like that because at least, you know, that those people believe that what they saw was something that was real. So it makes it, you know, a little bit more to, to digest and a little bit easier to digest. But yeah, I mean, I just want to can I give you a little history of, of my history with small town monsters? Yeah, because you're, it's funny you're out west. Um, and you you said to me, hey, you know, we're going to do this small town monster thing for your first episode. Uh, Seth lives about 25 minutes away from my house. Oh, nice. I, yeah, I've met him a ton of times. And the first movie that small town monsters did was a film called Minerva Monster. Yeah. Now, have you seen that one? Yes. In the 70s, I lived in Minerva, Ohio. Hey, the whole thing, I'll talk about the noises, and that was all the room, that was, everybody in town was talking about that, in our small town. That is what got me interested in watching the Bigfoot documentaries and the Bigfoot movies. That became, uh, that's that's where my obsession came from. And I've actually, I actually saw, I went to the world premiere of Small Town Monsters, they played it in a theater, uh, and I, I had to go see, I had to go see Minerva Monster, because I'm like, holy crap. And I've actually got Minerva Monster and Mothman t-shirts from Small Town. I go to all their events they have out here. But, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the thing is, is and the thing I, lo I love about what Seth does is, like, you, you, you pointed out, he's not a true believer, and he's not a skeptic. He, he goes out in the woods with an honest, every time he, every time he does this, or, or whether it's the ghost stuff he does, or Mothman, every time they, that crew goes out. They all want to see something that makes them believe. Exactly. They do, they, they, but they're like, but I'm going to be skeptical. But if you can show me something. Exactly. And, you know, you, you get a lot of these documentaries from true believers that are just Bigfoot's a thing and I need to convince you. And then they start, like you say, they start bringing up evidence, which if you do the, the quickest Google search was was disproven and shown to be a hoax years ago and i'm oh, like yeah. you're you're not you're not doing your due diligence you're a true believer you don't want to and that's not what you give a small town monster productions whether it's this or because i've seen everything they've done they also have a killer youtube channel yeah oh um, yeah and so this is for me 
And again, I, I, I gave you my history because I, I actually I've met Seth a bunch of times. I always going to have a soft spot from a small town monsters because their first flick again was Minerva Monster. And there's every year my little the little town I grew up in before I moved to Boston, the first 12 years of my life, I lived in Minerva, Ohio. And every year now they have a, a Sasquatch Fest and they there's a little restored theater downtown. And every year they 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 play Minerva Monster. And every year, our, somebody from small town, I think it's mostly been Seth, but somebody always comes down and mans a booth. Um, so I have like an attachment to this guy and this crew, um, yeah. a soft spot for him. But I'm telling you, and I say that I say that all the like a long round to get here. But I say that because I don't think I'm biased. I might be, but I really do think Seth and his crew at Small Town Monsters are doing the, the very best sort of cryptid and documentary stuff like that they're approaching it the right way they're doing great work and to me i, I absolutely love it i i i, I very seldom i'm kind of jaded at this point in my life i'm i'm old and i've seen shit um but yeah. <laughs> but i i really do genuinely get excited when I, I hear seth has got a new thing coming out um hell man i get excited when they release a new youtube video yeah yeah I, i've uh I've been working with him for a little while uh, myself. Um, I've had uh, my name in a bunch of his films as of, as of, you know, the last year or so. Um, I wasn't able to do it this year because I was shooting my own film. So I spent all my money on my own production, but um, all his new stuff that's coming out is just fantastic. And yeah, he really puts his heart into it and he really puts a lot of knowledge into it and he, and he gets credible witnesses and things like that. Um, the thing I want to say though, is like, so, um, you know, he, he was talking about a couple of the guys that live up in that area and that they've been there their entire lives and they've never seen a single thing. And that was always something I, I, I say is that we watch these shows, but these shows only go up for three days or a week or something like that to the area to go try and find a Bigfoot, you know, or <clears throat> any monster for that matter, whatever they're searching it for at the time. But the thing is, is unless you live in a place like that, you're probably never going to see anything. And even if you live in a place like that, you might not ever see anything. The thing is, is when you're about going about your daily routines and you're just not thinking about things like that, that's when you're going to catch something and you'll see something. When you're going out there and you're wanting to find something, you never find something. We haven't seen a single one of these movies or shows where they went out there to specifically find something and they actually found it. Now, I guess you could say the giant squid and like Monster Quest or or whatever. Ooh, yeah. You know, I was gonna I was gonna actually mention that because you know when you're talking about cryptids, the 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 hopeful dreamer in me, and I think it's been proven out because there's a, you know the uh, the cola I can't I'm the colcats whatever the hell that name of that fish is and then the giant squid, um those I think we're gonna continue to get um animals from the deep as we we can go deeper and as we can you know, send submersibles down. I believe that's where we're going to find the cryptids. Um, I believe, you know, because like everybody's like, well, the Kraken's not real. Well, actually, they probably are interpreting, interpreting, interpreting the giant squid as this, you know, monster Kraken. And gee, that that was bullcrap. There's no such thing until somebody caught one. And they're like, holy shit, it's real. It's enormous. So, I think there's going to be stuff come out of the, cause I mean, that's the one place we can't go. I, you know, I understand how vast the forests are in this country, but the vast, vast forests are still, there's still people crawling through them. Not everywhere, but enough that hey, you would have found something. 
Um, yeah. and, but you the know, oceans, the ocean, the deep ocean. I mean, some of the some of the rainforests and and you know there's still valleys and areas of of really thick rainforest that they that when they finally manage to chop their way in they find dozens and dozens of new species but they're all yeah. small because they're easy to miss. Yeah, it'd be hard to miss a bigfoot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if yeah. this if this thing really is 9 10 feet fall, tall or 8 feet tall, yeah, it's and then of course, you know, I also remember my high school biology and remember the concept of um uh, diver- uh, uh, genetic diversity and a breeding population and what that takes. And so there couldn't just be a couple hundred ranging because that wouldn't be enough of a breeding group. Yeah. So, you know, so I, again, I don't want to bust anybody's balloon, but I, I love the idea of Bigfoot. And oh my God, if somebody actually caught one, um, I'd be one of the, the doofuses in line at the zoo or wherever. Um, to see it because hell yeah i want it to be real i just i don't think so yeah and like there's been reports of juveniles and things like that but we've never heard of a baby at all so i mean come on um <laughs> yeah but yeah uh, and that some of those uh giant squids uh, like, there's one that uh washed up recently and they measured it and it's humongous so they were like yeah this is what people most likely were thinking was the kraken but yeah. uh, uh well, going into the imagine port- being out in the middle of the ocean and seeing something bigger than your boat swimming oh, around yeah. Oh, yeah, you would definitely think of some kind of freakish monster, even though it's, you know, that's been there for quite a while, most likely. So, but uh, digging into the forest, you know, as they go in, um, you know, Seth really covered this as well. He's talking about uh, waterways and sources of food and things like that. And and Mm -hmm. you would think that, um, you know, if Bigfoots were real, that they would, considering there's water sources that they need to go to all the time, you think you'd be able to actually catch, capture one very easily. But people that might have captured one on film, we might have dismissed as fake already. So, well, you know, here's here's the thing. Accidents happen and one would have washed up somewhere. One would have been hit by a truck. I am just sorry. I'm sorry. But but I you know, you say that with the waterways. That's another thing I love about Seth in his movies is, you know, when they went out, they're not just going out in the woods to randomly walk around so they can sell you a gone squatching hat. They actually scientifically look at it as, okay, if if we're going to consider it being a real animal um, and a real primate, primates act in a predictable manner. So they just didn't wander around the woods. They checked where the most likely places would be for them to come down out of the mountains, where they would follow the water with it, like you said. So th- if you're – seriously, I cannot recommend these movies enough. They're, they're just so cool, and they really are – um, you know, it, to me, I, I don't know if you ever read any Lauren Coleman's books. He's kind of like one of the godfathers of no, I actually haven't research. Read his, I haven't read any of his books, but I mean, I, I'm very familiar with him. I know a lot of his work. I've looked yeah, at, you know, his, armchair detective work on his stuff. So, you know, yeah, he, his, his books are really good. And I'm looking at one specific one here. Hold on. I actually have right next to me, Mysterious America, the most recent, um, version of that they put out and i love how he's got everything documented he's got chapters on different uh cryptids and each chapter has a bunch of um anecdotal evidence and a bunch of uh eyewitness accounts but there's also like an underlying so it would here's how this would work it's unlikely that that would actually be over there but here's the water sources and here's how it could be traveling again i want to believe in bigfoot i don't but I think Seth took some inspiration from the uh, scientific approach that Coleman has, um, you know, so it's, yeah, I don't know. I, 
I was glad that I got to check this out, and I'm 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 happy that you picked this or that you got this for the show. Yeah, and uh, although this is, uh, I'm not sure when this uh, episode is going to come out, but uh, this um, uh, film was released uh, yesterday, which is uh, what the ninth of um, June ninth. Yep. June ninth. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, you know, um, you can go ahead and uh, check that out now. He's got the film out, so you can go find it and, and watch it and um, re- do leave some reviews for him, help him out. Uh, they always need a ton of reviews and stuff. Good reviews. Yeah. I mean, all, not- all their stuff. There's a bunch of their stuff streaming for free on Prime if you have Prime too. Yeah, and I want to say that I have uh, met him personally, and I've uh, worked with him also. I'm in um, his On the Trail of UFOs, where I give an account of a sentient uh, green mist uh, uh, encounter I had as a child. So it's kind of a weird story. I don't really want to get into it here. But um, if you want to go check that out, it's On the Trail of UFOs, um, Episode 7, and you'll see me in there um, from Phoenix, Arizona, even though that's not exactly where I'm from. But, I mean, I live out here in Arizona. But, um so anyways, uh, all that being said, um, we're going to head into our next segment here. We're going to take a break and head into our next segment, which we got something new planned for you guys. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. Just on like a personal level, this is probably the place where I finally considered the possibility of the Bigfoot was real. Bigfoot is sighted all over this region. This is a great pathway for them. There's not a lot of people living in that region. There's a lot of unexplored land and forests. I think that Whitehall almost functions as a gateway to this area and kind of uh, what we talked about a lot of the researchers was the possibility of migrational routes and, and the way these things are moving into other states into Vermont where there's other sightings and then you have this vast wilderness. And we're back on the In the Mouth of Monster podcast, and I have a little something special for you guys um, today. We have a new segment we're going to be introducing. Um, so I have a buddy of mine who's a, um, a really well-known tattoo artist out here in Arizona. His name's uh, Joe Germo. Uh, he's been in tattoo magazines and things like that, and he's a fantastic guy. He's actually the actor in my uh, short film I, I just made uh, recently, which we're still putting it together. We're editing it, editing it and doing all that good stuff. Anyhow, uh, so our new segment today is going to be um, the Average Joe Report. And what I mean by the Average Joe Report, it's kind of a play on name because my buddy's name is Joe. But at the same time, um, what I wanted to do was get a regular person's uh, opinion of a, film, of a film, you know, or films in general. Um, and so I thought it'd be a great idea to just have somebody who's not into the industry as much as people like me and John are or Sarah you know, people that don't write and do movie reviews and, and just somebody who's a normal person who watches films and has a normal opinion of things and is not, you know, getting too deep into the subjects. So we're going to have him on today to do the new segment. And he's basically going to be reviewing the same film we just reviewed, the On the Trail of Bigfoot Journey. And he's going to give us his take on what he thinks about this. The Average Joe Report. And today, like I said, we have this new segment we're doing called The Average Joe Report, where we have my buddy Joe Germo, the amazing tattoo artist from Queen Creek, Arizona. He's the owner of Fateless Custom Art and Tattoo. So definitely check him out if you live out here or if you're interested in tattoos, period. He does a lot of amazing work. And this is his first time on the show and first first time doing a podcast. So 
bear with him and we're going to get his view on the film that me and John just uh, reviewed in our video deadly segment, the On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Journey. Hello, Joe. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Awesome. Awesome. Good to have you on the show, man. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. This is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. We just kind of want to get an average person's review of a movie and somebody who's not so deep into the genre and, and all that. And so, it, you know, it's more of a normalized view of a film as opposed to a nerdy picked apart. Like I said, we're covering the uh, film On the Trail of Bigfoot, The Journey by Seth Breedlove and Small Town Monsters. And so we're going to go ahead and go into Joe's review here. So, Joe, give us a little bit about what you thought about the film. What are your thoughts on Bigfoot and those type of things? Well, I mean... When I first played it, I didn't quite real, realize that I was watching a documentary. I, ended, I think I ended up messaging you asking if this is a work of fiction or if this is like a documentary. Yeah. But it was I, I thought it was really well made, actually. Like, I thought the music was perfect for it. Like, it was epic, and it really captured a lot of the vast landscape. I'm a sucker for landscape, and I spent a lot of my life in New York. And I've always said, like, upstate New York is some of the most gorgeous place I've ever seen. So, I mean, to me, that was very captivating. But um, as far as the documentary itself goes, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty cool. It was a lot of compelling evidence for it. It didn't didn't paint Bigfoot to be a monster or anything vicious the way a lot of other things that I had seen. It was more or less just trying to capture whether or not its existence was, you know, a thing or not. And there was a lot of compelling evidence from a lot of these sources that they utilize as they track down. And I think they did a really good job. The, the questions, the answers, the stories... There was a lot of like local lore included into it, which was really cool. I'm a sucker for lore and stuff like that. So as far yeah. as have you um, have you watched a lot of Bigfoot documentaries before, or is this kind of something new for you? Or um, I wouldn't say a lot. You know, I watch all kinds of random things. I don't really stick to a genre. If it seems interesting in the moment, I'll watch it. I've seen a couple of things here and there, but a lot of documentaries I tend to roll my eyes about when it comes to stuff more in the supernatural because it just seems real fake real staged whereas this did not and so it definitely kept my attention and it kept me interested and what did you think about you know some of the interviews that they had with some of the people with their brand new stories that haven't been told before so that, i thought that was kind of cool what were your thoughts on that a lot of the interviews were pretty cool um i did think some of them were a little too drawn out uh, a little too much there was a couple of people in particular especially towards the end there that were real difficult to understand I ended up rewinding it and this and that just trying to even hear what they were trying to say properly but the stories themselves were pretty cool they were and once again like even the people of these small towns weren't saying anything about like this monster trying to chase them it was more or less just these meetings and it was in passing how there was i remember one dude was standing in the river fishing and he looked up and he claimed to have seen a bigfoot right there and it wasn't aggressive and it wasn't anything in the sorts it just acknowledged each other and both went about their lives but I thought the stories were cool. And so what are you, what are your thoughts on uh, Bigfoots yourself? I mean, do you, do you lean towards it or that was one of the things that I thought was really cool in this was that he didn't necessarily portray it real or fake. He kind of just gave you the evidence and let people pick for themselves. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? After everything I saw in the video, I would say that I can't rule out its existence. There's, you know, with enough people having such similar statements about what had happened, what they had seen, the appearance seems to be on point across the board with everything that they had seen. The migratory patterns, like they said, like I've never seen evidence like this. And I would say that I can't rule out the possibility that it exists after watching that. The only thing I can be certain of is I don't have an answer. Yeah, I think that's the the question that plagues everybody. You know, we all we all kind of want to believe that it might be real, but but at the same time, there's no evidence to ever really prove aside from some foot, you know, big ass foot castings. 
exactly and there's nothing to say that it doesn't actually exist either so yeah and that, that was what i thought uh seth covered really well was just you know saying that he's like yeah we were up here for five days and we didn't see anything and there's people that lived here their whole lives and haven't seen anything but at the same time there's so many places to hide in, in an area like that exactly that's what they were saying about the adirondacks is like the just the chances of a person and a bigfoot being in the same place at the same time is just basically impossible i mean mathematically improbable at that and yeah. i did really like his closing and like you said he went in to say he's like we didn't see anything they there's all this local legend and they interviewed as much as they could and the fact that they only did it in five days was it was pretty fascinating yeah he does a lot of work really quickly i like the way he works and I like how new it was. It was relevant. It wasn't like some old documentary. One of my things is I do not care much for like when it comes to documentaries and science and stuff like that, older things, because science, we're always learning new things. And same with documentaries, like new evidence is to be, to be found all the time. And this happened during the time of COVID, during quarantine last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, you know, that was what basically what he says. He would get lost out in, in the wilderness and to just escape from all the COVID stuff for a while. That was really cool. So, Right. And he said, even though that they didn't find anything, the fact that they did get the break from the crazy world, the, the politics, the COVID, the just the mass hysteria that was going on in the world. He said this was not a loss in any way, shape or form. And he would do it again. And yeah, I was great timestamp. So. I was I was grateful for his uh, his adventure as well. It kept me entertained for a solid hour and a half. All right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, taking your time to do this. And uh, that was a great review, man. And we're looking forward to doing a ton more with you. Man. So thank you. Appreciate it. Not a problem, man. Thanks for having me. There is a serial killer loose in the building. We should run. Yeah. My turn to cut and run. Does anyone else know about me, sir? Oh, no. If this got leaked to the press, it would be pandemonium. now for an interview with the monster and we're back at the in the mouth of monster podcast and we're at our final segment here which is our uh, feature interview and i have a really special guest here who i've been wanting to have on the show for quite a while now and it's uh it was nice to finally get her on here and talk to her she's the creative manager at the alamo draft house theaters out here in arizona which there's three of them tempe chandler and gilbert She's the creative manager for all three, which is kind of a huge uh, undertaking. But anyway, so my guest with us today is Lauren Knight from the Alamo Draft House, and she's we're going to get into it, but she's had a lot of uh, pretty cool jobs. So, um, Hi. so welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, I'm very happy to be here. That was a great that was a great intro. You've already hit our locations, and that's great. Good. I don't have to. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I want to talk to you. So I, you know digging through all your information and stuff to get some of these questions here. So uh, I, I noticed that um, you're originally from Georgia, correct? Yes, I am. I grew up in uh, suburban Atlanta, like, I don't know, 35-ish minutes outside of Atlanta proper. But then I went to school in uh, the city of Atlanta and lived down there for a while before moving out here. So actually, before I ask that, let me ask, uh, 
So are you, uh, I noticed your maiden name is Berkeley. Are you related to Elizabeth Berkeley? I just had to ask. <laughs> you know, everyone has asked me that the whole time, like as long as Saved by the Bell, you know, has been on the air. Yeah. Uh, not as far as I know. I mean, technically, like, probably somewhere, right? I just think it's really funny because Elizabeth Berkeley ended up marrying the one of the sons of uh, fashion designer Ralph Lauren. And so she kept her name, but then took his. So she's Elizabeth Berkeley Lauren. And I just get the biggest kick out of that. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Uh, what was the reason you came out to Arizona? I just wanted to know. I always tell everyone that it was for a boy, <laughs> which is something I never thought I would do. Uh, I mean, the long of the short of it is, yes, uh, I came out here after being in a very uh, long-term, long-distance relationship, and it worked out because I've, I've married the guy now, so it has a happy ending. But um, honestly, I through all of my like career history, I had actually gotten let go from a show that I was working on, um, and so I was given a severance package and so on and so forth, so I was already thinking of moving out here to be with my now husband and then... Uh, the stars kind of aligned and that decision was sort of made for me um, when I lost a job working for um, uh, CNN Turner out in Atlanta. Oh yeah. Well, we'll ask you about that here in a little bit. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. I'm just happy that you uh, thank God for that boy, because if not, I wouldn't have the best theater out here in the world. <laughs> people don't know. We're going to get into this and people don't know about it, but the Alamo draft houses that she, that she runs out here, she puts some of the most fantastic films of all time in these in these theaters. And I've just been so lucky to live here and have these days off to be able to attend some of these things. But you have a bachelor's degree in telecommunications at Georgia State University. Is that correct? Yes, I do. Um, and thank you for your kind words, by the way, and your support. I've always oh, yeah. appreciated all these years. Thank you. Yeah, I, I majored in broadcast journalism or telecommunications is what they called it because they had regular journalism as well, print. And I, I majored in, in that and I minored in English, but I ended up taking so many film courses as my elective that I was two credits shy of a double major in oh, film. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So they didn't just hire you for your good looks then, huh? They, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, I, what's funny is I minored in English because I really thought that that would look better for journalism jobs because yeah. there are a lot of Lois Lanes out there who don't know how to like spell or use grammar properly, right? They can oh, write yeah. really well, but they may not be the best at, at like the technical aspects. So I thought that that would look better on a resume than a film degree in, you know, the early 2000s, you know, what are you going to do with that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially at that time. Yeah, especially. Uh, so that leads me into you were the video manager at CNN and an associate producer at the uh, Anderson Cooper 360 show, right? Yeah, that was crazy. It took me years to get my foot in the door at CNN. I actually, the reason why I didn't follow through on that double major was there was a job opening for a production assistant at the Weather Channel. A lot of people don't realize that the Weather Channel is headquartered in Atlanta, and so they needed someone with flexible hours to do a bunch of different, it was basically a paid internship, right? Like you're assisting with scripts and you're assisting yeah. with teleprompter yeah. and things like that. So they needed someone with a flexible schedule and that job was open in December. So I would have had to have stayed on through spring semester to double major. So I ended up applying and got the job. So I stayed at Weather Channel forever and then finally got my foot in the door at CNN working in their feeds bay. 
So if you guys remember like the Gabby Giffords shooting down in Tucson, um, I was, I was in the, the, the feed bay when that happened and I was recording the raw feed um, and, and putting in all the metadata. So the producers all across CNN from all the different shows would be able to find it like in our, you know, digital library. So I remember, I remember vividly working a shift when there was a, like, there's a shooting down in Tucson, you know, senators, or yeah. sorry, um, was she representative? I'm, I'm so sorry, Arizona. Representative was shot. And so, yeah, I worked, I worked in feeds. And then there was sort of a on-campus internship because Anderson Cooper's in New York, obviously. But yeah. with CNN being in Atlanta, that's where their library is. All of those beta cam tapes, everything. So they needed someone in Atlanta. None of that had been, like, digitized. So... If they needed old footage, I would, um, for like six months, I got to work for the show and I would feed them video footage. Like I would go to the library, check out tapes, um, and, and beam that, <laughs> ingest the footage for them for their show that night. And then I would edit it down for like their little sort of podcast sort of thing. They would take the one hour show um, and then I would edit it down, remove you know the commercials and remove uh, a couple segments here and there. And sort of condense it into like a 30 or 40 minute like online show. That's awesome. Uh, did you ever get a chance to meet him, by the way? You know what? I did not. And it was close. I went to New York City a number of years ago when I was still working for CNN. And I got to visit the offices. I was like, hey, guys. And they're like, oh, hey, sure. Like, come for a tour. And I arrived like at the time that they told me to. And Anderson had had something else prior. So he was like coming in late that day. But I did get to see his office and I got to see the closet that's inside of his office um, and his awards. And uh, it was really, really exciting. And I actually did get an invitation to his Christmas party, but I, oh, wow. I couldn't go. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's I should really have, cool. though. I should have gone. I should have, like, found the money and gone for his Christmas yeah. party. And I meant to ask you about the Weather Channel, um, so it was great that you covered that, so I don't have to ask you about that now. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah, no worries. It was a, I, I eventually worked my way up to associate producer and launched a morning show that had Al, Al Roker uh, as one of oh, the yeah. co-hosts, um, and I got to meet uh, Mr. Roker a few times, and so, you know. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> but, yeah, so that, that helped me get my foot in the door at CNN, basically. Nice. Yeah, you've had a couple of pretty stellar jobs there, so, you know, it's a good, good resume you've got there. And I'm not that old, so it's no, no, no. I know it's rather impressive, but it, it's a lot of jobs in a relatively, you know, decade-ish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't get me wrong. Me and John here are are, are both older than you, so. <laughs> are you guys really? I, okay, I didn't know that. I thought we were about no. the same age. But... No, no, yeah. no. Hey, it's all right. I'm an old soul. You're, I feel like. So. Hey, you're still a good-looking guy, John. You're not. You're not too ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. You know, you've obviously never seen a picture of me, so there you oh, go. I've seen, I've seen plenty. I know who I'm talking to, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I wanted to ask you about uh, being an assistant producer for uh, In Session at the Turner Broadcasting uh, System. What was that all about? Oh my gosh, that was crazy. So I worked, you know, like I said, in in the feeds bay and got to do that temporary little like internship for Anderson Cooper, um, and then I finally got to get out. I did not, I did not enjoy uh, working 12 hour you know, or 10 hour raw footage shifts. Um, but I managed to get another associate producer job. Um, do you guys remember Court TV? Oh, yeah. Uh, 
Yeah. So Court TV then became um, a show called In Session that aired on True TV, the network that had Impractical Jokers and like that yeah. type of stuff um, under yeah, the Turner like, umbrella. Like and all that crap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it was under the Turner umbrella, but Court TV became In Session. Court TV's back actually with a lot of the same people I worked with. So I'm happy for them. But In Session was like a sour, I think, live legal show um, where we played live and recorded trials for six hours a day and I when we didn't have a live trial we would rotate which associate producer got assigned like which trial we would have a remote video uh video people go film trials in Tennessee South Carolina things that were, were media had access to and then I would be assigned one of them and I would have to cut down an entire trial over a period of five days or 10 days however long it needed to be and then come up with like graphics and packages like if it was a murder trial if there was like a trail that he took like it would be creating with the video team like a digital map things like that to enhance the broadcast but basically it was editing down trial footage and that was what we showed and then we were given the blessing slash curse of Jody Arias um, oh, and then oh, that, no. that, <laughs> that became my life for, I don't know, easily a year and is actually sort of the reason why even after I was like, let go and they canceled in session, I still had a job for a while because HLN every day, uh, what used to be headline news, they rebranded to be HLN would pick up the trial when we ended. So they would pick up like where we left off. And so they basically became the Jody Arias network for months. And so they needed footage. And there was also obviously the massive time difference too between Arizona and East Coast. Um, and again, I was East Coast at this time. So um, it was, <laughs> she was the gift that kept on giving. <laughs> right. It was, oh, <laughs> it was off. Like you guys, I was, I was voluntold. Like I did not volunteer for this at all. I was voluntold that myself and another girl named Megan would be responsible for watching every minute of trial. So I had to listen to every phone sex conversation. I had to look at all of the crime scene photos during the trial because I had to, she and I had to send things to editing and tell them where the curse words were, tell them when there was a sidebar, and how long that it was in the time code. Cause you don't want to, that's boring. 10 minutes of sidebar. Like that's not TV. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, so it was constantly alerting editing, like, Hey, this to this needs to be bleeped or blurred or whatever. And it took its toll. You guys like, uh, yeah, that must've been excruciating. <laughs> it was really rough. And like, I was in a long distance relationship at the time with someone who lived in Tempe. Right. And this happened wow. in Mesa yeah. and it was just, it really like I was an expert for a while though. Like I knew everyone involved in the case. I knew like it was <laughs> it was it was nuts. Wow. Yeah, that's one of those cases out here that in Arizona we won't forget. So <laughs> I actually got to go to the courtroom once because I was out wow. visiting my now husband at the time. And uh, I actually did get to go to court for a day. I got to go to the in session mobile, the like uh, remote van, you know more like a food truck size because you could sit down in it and stuff like that. But I got to go to the remote van and then I got to go in with Beth Karras. 
Um, and so I got to see like Jody be brought in and things like that. So oh, wow. it was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine that. I mean, I don't really want to delve into anything, but I, I've had to go to court before over a murder that happened in my family as well. And so I, you know, I know how all that goes and I had to sit through the trial and all that as well. So it's, it's, yeah, it's, don't take its toll on you. Definitely. So. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry that. Yeah. yeah it's, such is life. You know, there's nothing I could do about it. So you just got to keep living. You know what I mean? So. <laughs> And I the, guess so, the, yeah. And I the mean, famous words of Matthew McConaughey, McConaughey, uh, L-I-V-I-N, you know? So. L-I-V-I-N. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's better than the alternative, right? Ooh. Right, yeah. <laughs> so when you came out to Arizona, basically uh, got in contact and became a web content editor at uh, KTAR in Arizona Sports. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you know, one of the really great things about Arizona is that even though we are a top 10 metropolitan city, Phoenix doesn't really realize how big it is. I think more so now, <clears throat> excuse me, with more and more like tech companies coming to the Valley and things like that. But this was seven years ago, you know, that I moved here. Um, and so it was, I was actually sort of a big fish in a little pond. And there were actually quite a bit of journalism opportunities out here. Whereas Atlanta, I mean, you're competing. I mean, it, it literally took me like six or seven years to get a job at CNN you're competing with UGA grads, you're competing with like broadcasters from other markets coming, you know, so it was really hard to get your foot in the door in Atlanta. But Phoenix, it was like, yeah, you want to do it? Let's do it. So I actually was in the middle of moving cross country when I got a phone call that I had gotten a job as like a news writer editor for KTAR.com. So I never had, I didn't have a lot of bylines, right? It was sort of like a ghost writer, right? They could just be K by KTAR staff or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would write about like local news stories here in the Valley, or if one of the radio hosts wrote a blog, they would send it over for the website and I would, you know, edit it and make the syntax correct and things like that and post it, um, doing some breaking news stuff. So it was, it was part-time while I sort of figured out what I wanted to do and figured out, you know, what Phoenix was about, but it was, it was, it was really great. Yeah. Yeah. For those who aren't aware, um, KTAR is a huge um, radio station here. Um, uh, AM, if I'm correct, I, it's been a while since I've listened to it, but uh, my dad used to listen to it all the time in the car when we drive around all the time. So I, I mean, believe uh, they're FM because they're also Arizona sports is under the KTAR. I think it's KTAR yeah. FM 93. Yeah. I should know this. <laughs> I really I, should. I, well, I know, especially being from Arizona and living here my whole life, I should know all that by heart by now. But ninety-two nine ninety. Oh no, I don't yeah, remember. I think it's FM though. I listen to uh, the sports show on there with my dad. He, he, you know, being a sports nut, and they would play all the games and stuff. So anytime that we'd be riding in a car and a game was on, he'd have it on. So I, I, I called. I got to call in a couple times and be on the air back in the day when I was, you know, when I was just knee high still. So it was kind of. Oh, cool. awesome! Oh, that's cool. Um. Yeah. So uh, from there, you um. You got a job as a news writer and digital media producer at iHeartMedia, which I love iHeartRadio, which is, a, you know, a, a subset of iHeartMedia. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that, about how you uh, got that position and what that was all entitled? Yeah, um, I forget exactly why I left KTAR. I think because it was it was part time um, and there weren't any full time positions available. And I did miss um, I, I, I missed like other things of the news and producing and things like that. That's when I thought I still wanted to do that. So I ended up getting a full-time job over at the at their competitor, KFYI. Uh, that's AM. That's 550. Um, so I, I was working a like a graveyard shift. I think I started at like 3 a.m. maybe. Um, 
just writing what we call rip and reads which is basically news reports for our affiliates all across the country. So other like iHeartRadio owned stations. Um, and so it's a rip and read because they're like four or five sentences long. And so you'd write them for that market and they're read over the drive time radio. So either uh, morning drive time or evening drive time. Uh, they're, they're called that because they would in theory, like in the old days, they'd pr you would print it up, you know, on like a dot matrix computer, rip it off the printer and then go live on the air with it. So I was writing, um, you know, brief news stories for on-air purposes while I was there, um, which then leads us to probably your next point, which is the Mike Broomhead show. <laughs> uh, no, I hadn't had that on there, but uh, go ahead and talk. About oh, okay. I'll yeah. uh, just segue into that. There was, uh, he's on, incidentally, he's on KTAR right now. There's a conservative um, talk show host named Mike Broomhead which uh, here in the Valley. I did yeah. look at it, and it was KTAR 620 or AM back in the day, but now it apparently has moved. I haven't listened to it in years. That's why I didn't know. But it moved to 92.3, which is FM out here, which used to be our main uh, hip-hop station for a long time. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. But anyways, oh, go, uh, go ahead. Oh, no worries. Um, and so there was, there's a conservative talk show host out here named Mike Broomhead, who's now on KTAR, and he was uh, uh, – there's a, a longtime radio legend out here named Barry Young – who had the morning drive time slot for KFYI, but he was retiring. So Mike was moving from like the afternoon evening time slot to the morning. And so they needed to launch like this brand new show essentially. So I, <laughs> I took the elevator upstairs and I interviewed for it. Um, and so I was one of the producers for the show. Um, I was on air occasionally, but I mostly was the, the live producer. So I would be cutting sound bites if, uh, you know, President Obama was giving a speech kind of thing. I would record it on TiVo and then use our system to basically edit sound bites like during commercial breaks and like send them over. Um, I would uh, handle guest or uh, call-ins because uh, people had a lot of opinions that they wanted to voice. So I monitored yeah. calls. Um, I posted to Mike's social media accounts for the show. Um it's just sort of interesting now because I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely, I was not, I was not conservative when I was on that show anyway, but I can basically work with almost anybody, you know? Uh, yeah. But <laughs> it's just really funny when I tell people that now, given how far I've <laughs> like shifted politically that uh, I used to work for Mike Broomhead's show, but um, I got to meet Senator McCain a couple times and um, I, I really did like that job. I really did. I had a lot of fun with it. But then they, iHeart made cuts. Uh, I think they declared bankruptcy and things. So a lot of us ended up losing our jobs. And I oh, went I back to, yeah, uh, they, they filed for bankruptcy a few years ago. Um, and so I went back downstairs to news writing. Um, so at least I, I had a job. Um, they took me back <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love iHeartRadio. Um for podcasts and stuff one of the that's one of my uh, main two go-tos um for podcasts that one and wondery they just have fantastic uh, um you know knowledgeable podcasts out there to listen to so i thought that was a uh, pretty cool thing that you happen to be happen to work there for a little while so i was like oh i have to definitely uh, ask you about the iheart media you know but um, 
But uh, so this leads me into the main thing. Well, the reason why I got you here, I really want to talk about this and everything. And so um, you became the creative manager at the Alamo Draft House um, out here in Arizona. Like I said, all three of them. Um, and wh what's that like? What do you uh, do there? Like, what is your I mean, I know it's creative manager, but can you tell us a little bit about what you do specifically there and how uh, COVID has affected all of this and now with you guys opening back up and people are starting to come in, how, how everything's running and what you're doing to take precautions and all that stuff. Sure. Um, so basically just sort of uh, the easiest way to put it is I am a film programmer and an events coordinator is basically like to simplify everything what I do. So um, every month, uh, I'm just going to speak in generalities. We'll get to COVID in a second, yeah. but let's say like all things being equal, how this job worked, you know, before last year, um, there would be certain programming that Alamo corporate based in Austin, Texas would send down to us. Right. So basically if you went to any Alamo in the country during that month, you would see, there was a chance you would see like 2001. Cause it was all, we were all playing it granted different days, but like it was part of our national yeah. initiative. Right. And then each Alamo, or each city, depending, because some there were, there were obviously multiple Alamos in different cities, uh, would have a someone like me, a creative manager, to really get to know the community, and therefore program their theaters with what the community wants, and also doing like community outreach and and charity screenings and things like that um, on the local level, uh, which is um, what a lot of the large theaters are unable to do just by their sheer size and you know so we got to work with so many different like children's groups and and nonprofits out here and we've done screenings with the NAACP and we've done um like suicide prevention screenings for like parents for with with like a local author educator out here so we've really been able to be part of the community and so whenever we weren't showing monthly programming um, it was my job to then go in and fill in any gaps on the calendar. Like, oh, we really need to show something on a Monday night. What's going to bring people out? So my job is literally to put butts in seats largely on Monday through Thursday because weekends, again, pre-COVID, you didn't have an issue with people going out to the movies, right? And yeah. you always had new releases coming out. So you didn't need a reason to get people out when you had Avengers. They were going to go see Avengers. They weren't going to go see anything else, right? Yeah. But on a Monday night, you're tired, you're home from work, like you really don't want to go out. But man, there's that movie playing for one night that you've never gotten to see or you've never gotten to see it on 35 millimeter or something. And so you like change clothes and you go to the theater, right? And you have a really great time. So that was that's that's what I do is is to get people out um, right now all seven days. <laughs> but it is it's, yeah. it's getting a lot it's getting a lot better. Um, we are starting to do some of what we what we used to do. We've actually had a couple director Q and A's and meet and greets, like in person, not just over Skype, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, but it was it was very. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was very touch and go last year, and I actually lost the job. I actually didn't have have it. I was I was let go because there was no timeline of reopening. Yeah. So that was that was a huge blow because it took me 10 years or more to find this job that I absolutely love and I'm good at. And so yeah, to sort of be like, fantastic. hey, oh, thank you so much. 
I've, I've learned a lot in the five years that I've, that I've had this job and, and I'm so grateful that my team kind of made a place for me. And then now we're in a place where, uh, I get to do programming again. So yeah, yeah things are looking up. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy to see you back doing what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, uh, you had a couple of, uh, you know, you've had some really great people out there before COVID even hit like, like for things that I attended, like Joe, Bo- uh, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, Don Corscarelli. You had some really good people out there. So, um, and you guys have always a, have, um, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I have a, I have a question for you. Yeah. So in the five years you've been doing this, uh, is there ever been a movie you programmed where you're like, I don't know if anybody's going to show up and then you get, shocked or surprised by how many people were into it oh my gosh you know that has honestly happened more times than you would think i have spent the last three years or so because we we had our chandler location that was the first location that opened um and then about a year and a half two years later we opened tempe and then gilbert opened in november of 2019 so the timing (laughs) was not so great for that one but i monster can attest to this i've spent the last three years or so trying to build up the horror community at Alamo Tempe. Um, I know there are, you know, some other independent theaters in the Valley film bar, uh, honestly does a really great job with, they are nothing but art house. You know, they get to show independent and and art house titles and cult things seven days a week because they aren't considered a first run movie house like we are. So I've, 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 I've worked really hard creating a horror community and just like a cult genre community there like uh, showing Hard Ticket to Hawaii or doing a series that Alamo has called Video Vortex where it's, Joe Bob did a great example of this last Friday where like we basically would 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 program things or Sledgehammer or, or something of that ilk at like nine o'clock at night on a weekday and charge five bucks. And people came out for it because there isn't, there isn't anyone showing that stuff regularly. There isn't anyone showing Grindhouse stuff. There isn't, you know, anyone showing like Rudy Ray Moore films regularly. So there have yeah. been a, a lot of the culty genre stuff has actually gone over better than I would have expected. Was was this uh, your first, I, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I am one of those uh, culty genre nerd people um, that I was watching this stuff in the 70s when it was just considered weird crap. Um, <laughs> but... Was this your first introduction to that that community? Because um, having uh, being a long time, basically a lifetime member, we can be a, a bit much in the when you first. Definitely. Yeah. So y'all are this... so passionate. I love it. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I've gotten programming ideas from people like you that'll email me or message me, and be like, "Hey, so and so is coming out with this restoration or this release or things like that." And I've actually, I've, I've listen to a lot of that feedback and have and have programmed some of it. I will say yes, though, to the question about my my experience or my entry into that world. Um, I worked for multiple years at Hollywood Video. I think I got mm. hired when I was like 17. And then I helped close my store down. Um, I stayed there that long. All through college, even when I was working at the Weather Channel, I was still working shifts at Hollywood Video. It's probably behind Alamo, like the second best job I've ever had, to be honest. Um, yeah, you're, you're talking to two old blockbuster employees. <laughs> yeah. So we, we totally yeah. I was offered an assistant manager position of Hollywood Video, actually, but I was in college, so I had to turn it down. But I became like a shift supervisor, basically. But 
I always say that that's Hollywood videos were where I got my film education. Sure, I took film classes and got a literal film education, but Hollywood video is where I watched yeah, thousands. so many movies for the first time because I could get three movies for free a day for 24 hours. So like I would close up at midnight and I would go home and watch a movie. Um, so I was able to watch a lot of stuff that a lot of people are, you know, did not have access to because there, you know, there was no streaming. Sure, there was Netflix, but not streaming, right? Yeah. yeah um, not and not even YouTube to the extent that it is now and iTunes. So I'm very grateful. Um, and that's where I actually started to love horror. I'm no expert by any means. And that's why, you know, I have, I, I defer to other people when it comes to our horror series, I offer input and things like that, but I love horror. I'm just, that's just not my forte. You know what I mean? I, I, I fell into it late, but I watched, you know, evil dead and evil dead two for the very first time working at Hollywood video. So, uh, but the, the cult stuff, the genre stuff, we we had because I'll remember posters or something like I I have this very vivid memory of of covers for movies because I would you know had to I put the DVDs back every day you yeah. know so yeah. it's really hilarious to me where I'll watch something or I'll hear of something and I'll be like oh my gosh I remember that cover and the poster and like oh, you yeah. know X Y Z yeah um, there was a, I had re- there was a time where because I, I had worked there for a few years there was, there was a time there where I had literally rented every movie in the, in the whole store and so. I mean, just just finding something new was like, you know, it was a journey, basically. I mean, you know, it was an adventure trying to find anything that I hadn't seen that I could watch, you know. But um, so, yeah. Uh, And and that's something I wanted to delve into about this also um, with with you working there. You've played besides great horror films, you've played a lot of other amazing films like Goonies and Dazed and Confused and Empire Records and things that I just love. And and you've played so many of these uh, great films. But when it comes to horror and movie theaters that play horror, and I know there's a couple still out there, like the, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but the Mahjong or whatever, Drive-In, and they play a lot of great stuff, even though it is a drive-in. I don't know if it's technically... Oh, like up in I Pennsylvania? I think, I think that's where it's at. I'm not... It's it's northeast, but, I think, if I'm thinking of the same, of, of like, the Maho- yeah, Mahoning? Mahoning? Yeah. Um, Something like that, yeah. yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's Mahoning. Mahoning. Oh, okay, there, there you go. Yeah, this I is my neck of the woods. Yeah, there, okay, so it's on, not hone. Got it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so there, I mean, there's other places out there that play great stuff, but I mean, honestly, I haven't seen a theater and, and you know, being in the community, you, you know, everybody that goes out to the theaters and even before the COVID hit and all that stuff is, uh, you know, there's, you play some of the greatest horror films of all time at this theater, things that haven't been played in, you know, a couple of decades and, um, you know, like In the Mouth of Madness hadn't been played out here in Arizona that I know of since 1995 when it came out, which I saw in the theater. And you happened to play it just, you know, like uh, it was the last month or whenever it was. And that was like a dream come true. I felt like a little kid again. I was like, oh, my God, my favorite horror film of all time. And I finally get to see it in the theater again after all these years. But, I mean, you've played uh, just some amazing stuff. Uh, you've done Suspiria, Critters, The Thing, They Live. Um, I could just keep going on. Like, literally, you have a whole, you know, long list of, of amazing films you guys keep putting out and, and playing there uh you just did um nightmare on elm street part three the dream warriors and you guys just did um texas chainsaw massacre 2 which i unfortunately didn't get to attend and i'm really uh that one bummed me out i wanted to see that so bad because i've seen the first oh, one now. thanks to you guys i've seen you know thanks to you specifically i've seen the first one in the theater now so i wanted to see the second one as well you know 
But I mean, I, I just wanted to give big props. And that's really why I wanted to get you on here is to give a shout out to the to the Alamo and to you, especially for programming these things for us horror nerds out here. Like I said, it's not just horror films. You do all kinds of stuff. You did Xanadu. You do, you know, some crazy, awesome uh, cult stuff that people just love. And I mean, for me, I, I mean, I couldn't ask for something more and, you know, out here where I live and and it's it's cool to see that the theaters aren't really packing up, but you know, at all any of the other theaters, but the but at least I mean I'm not sure about the other Alamos, the Chandler, or the Gilbert, but I know Tempe people are starting to show back up, and you're starting to put some of those new uh, horror films, you know, or not new, but put some of those horror films out again, and people are starting to really respond and come back, and you know, for a while there, everybody was scared with COVID that you know we might not have an Alamo anymore, and that really you know for people like Danny Wynn and myself, you know, that are just huge nerds like that, you know, that's, it, it means the world to us that we're able to continue to have your theater and you putting these things out. And, and I, I got to be there when Danny was there to, um, you know, her first day back at the uh, terror Tuesday, although it wasn't technically terror Tuesday, but yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it was just fantastic, you know, to see her up there and, you know, she got all emotional cause she's back and all her, you know, all the normal horror, horror nerds out here are, we were back, you know, and, and I just thought that was cool that you took the time to give us the opportunity to watch these films when, like you said, you, this is your kind of first foray into horror. So, you know, whenever you're on uh, Facebook and you're like, I watched this movie for the first time and I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, you haven't watched that before, you know, I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like, I don't know about your, sometimes I don't know about your taste because you haven't seen this one. You know, I'm just giving monster, you shit all the time. Monster. Like, no, I'm just hey, shit. hey, monster. Yeah. Let me explain. She probably had a social life growing up, whereas you and I had plenty of spare time. <laughs> um, since we're on this uh, love fest for the Alamo draft house, I have to tell you this. Um, I live in Ohio. Okay. And my wife loves this band. I don't know if you're familiar with it called Erasure. And, uh, yes, I know of yeah, them. Yeah, it's an 80s thing, so it's okay if you don't. Um, but but she, she said a few years ago, hey, they're touring Pick a City. Well, I did pick a city. Hey, I went online, and I hate to fly, but I went online and discovered that they were going to play um, in Austin. And I said, okay, this is interesting. And I immediately went to the Alamo Draft House website and discovered they were showing the original Halloween on 35 millimeter one of the few prints available because that became a movie that just it was almost impossible to find a 35 millimeter print for i flew all the way from ohio to austin for the sole purpose of watching a movie in the draft house that i couldn't see anywhere else so the stuff that you do and the stuff that you program it means so much to uh the horror community and to and, and forgive me just yes, the horror community and there are people who who have never had a chance to see like Goonies in the theater and 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 Xana, even Xanadu, just stuff like that. This is this is absolutely amazing that you guys do this, and we're really glad that there's people out there like you programming stuff. Oh well, thank you so much. That really does mean a lot. I I have worked really hard. It really does. I mean, I'll I'll toot my own horn because you know no one else is going to toot it for me. So yep, uh, <laughs> I will I will take some of that credit, but. It really does take a village, and if the demand wasn't there for it, we wouldn't show it. So it is, it is people like you guys flying in or coming out for screenings, you know, every week. And I have you mentioned Danny Wynn Monster, uh, Danny, and then um, this great cult guy named Aaron Hudson. 
uh, are my two oh, yeah. horror hosts every oh, week. Um, Aaron used to host yeah, Video Vortex. Um, we've done we've we've uh, done screenings with Victor Moreno before of cult classics out yeah. here. Um, but Aaron and Danny help me program horror every month. You know, I I will give them ideas or I'll say, hey, you know, this year's an anniversary of Chopping Mall, and you know, Chopping Mall always sells, but now it's like people love anniversary years too. Like it's crazy. People just like, oh, it's 35 years old. Like we gotta go. You know. So I'll 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 offer suggestions and then. Um, we sort of, you know, we, we, ha- we reach a consensus. We take some of my ideas, we take some of their ideas, people that write in, you know, again, about certain restorations or, or things that, you know, are being released, um, or, or AGFA titles, American genre film archive. So I, I will take some of the credit, but honestly, it's, it's the community telling me what, what they want. And I mean, I would be ridiculous not to listen to them. Because I mean, they, they're, I mean, honestly, horror fans were the ones coming out during the pandemic last year. I mean, they were yeah. like, you guys were starved for content. I mean, there was, I mean, every VOD horror movie that hit, you know, I would, I would see y'all talk about it on Letterboxd and things yeah. like that. So um, whenever we got a horror movie, no matter how, how good or bad, you know, or how big or how little uh, last fall. And you, you guys were coming out for it. You guys were coming out for the sequester Stallone, Stallone series that I, I programmed. You know, yeah, you guys were coming out to see that, Cobra. And, yeah. and, like... and I wanted you to mention that because that is, <laughs> it was fantastic. And you dressing up too and everything. And I just oh, got yeah, so much of a kick out of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, being a kid of the 80s, I'm a huge Sylvester Stallone. He's probably my favorite action, you know, uh, actor of all time. So, I mean, I totally get that. I'm totally into him. That's why when you had said before, about doing a possible podcast on Sylvester Stallone stuff. I was like, I would totally be in if you were to do it. You know, I, I would totally want in on that because I love him. He's, he's one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, and that was just a, such a cool thing that you were doing. And uh, you've gotten a, a lot of knowledge, I mean, a lot of uh, recognition for that as well. I've seen a lot of people talk about that and be like, oh, yeah, you did that Sylvester Stallone, which is awesome. And didn't he like read, uh, didn't he tweet at you or something like that too? Not, not for that specifically. I commented on the Rocky Four director's cut that's being released because it's been delayed for so long. Yeah. Uh, so I, I made a comment on Instagram to him the other day, and and he liked it, you know. Oh, yeah. uh, but no, but if you know what, if if I can die happy knowing that like my sequester Stallone film series <laughs> over the pandemic, like if someone recognizes me for those videos that Aaron Hudson and I shot together, uh, where I would dress up for Nighthawks and cliffhanger and things and do a four minute intro about the, you know, facts about the yeah. movie and things like, since I couldn't be there in person all the time, you know, with, with the pandemic. So, uh, I, I'll take it. If that's my claim to fame, like it's, it's yeah. been all, it's all been, uh, worthwhile. Um, I will say though, one of my, one of my shining moments was being able to show Hellraiser on 35 millimeter. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, you guys I couldn't were, make- time yeah oh uh, yeah like john when you were talking about halloween on 35 and things like that we are mm-hmm. um only oh, yeah. 35 millimeter movie theater in the phoenix area um there's the loft down in tucson but you know that's a couple hours away for most people yeah so you showed like, the um 35 millimeter of like uh empire records and a couple of the other ones i've seen too. oh that was a dream too that yeah. will most likely never happen again because it's a it's a fox title um oh yeah I was able and to box is now behind the Disney firewall, right? Yeah. So I, yes. Yeah. So I was able to same with speed. It's uh Twitter was talking about today. Oh, yeah. it's the anniversary for speed today. I think it is. Uh, and I was able to show that in 2019 on 35 millimeter as well. I was able to show true lies on 35 millimeter. 
Nice. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I have, there, there have been some really great, great moments that I'm, I mean, I'm proud of everything I do, but I'm really excited to be able to bring 35 millimeter, uh, screenings to, to, to Phoenix. Do you know what's crazy is there is a little drive-in out in Pennsylvania that every year they do, the owner has his own collection of 16 millimeter prints and uh -huh. they actually have shown 16 millimeter prints on the drive-in screen. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. The one time I wow. went out, I saw uh, Witchfinder General, Frogs, and then they did, and Vandegriff is actually really close to where Romero shot his stuff. They showed um, The Crazies and Night of the Living Dead. Oh, nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's really, because, Night of the Living the, Dead uh, is one you should show up there at the Alamo as well. I think that should. would bring a lot of people, yeah. Because it is public domain. Exactly. I feel like we've shown it once. I know we made it, I know we got permission and we're able to show Romero's Dawn of the Dead for like one day or two days only because mm. the rights for that one are not owned by his estate. It's a thing. That's John's favorite yeah. No. no. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's, I just watched. I, 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 just, I constantly oh, rail about that because Dawn <laughs> of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead is my favorite movie, period. Yeah. <laughs> It's, on my fifteenth uh, wedding anniversary, my wife asked me where I wanted to go. I didn't go anywhere in the world. We went to the Monroeville Mall and no. spent our anniversary in the mall. Shot Dawn of the Dead. Oh, Five wow. years later, she said I could go anywhere in the world for our twentieth wedding anniversary. Guess where we went again? The same mall. Yep. <laughs> um, twenty-five rolled around, and she's like, "I'm not asking. We're going to the beach." Yeah. <laughs> That's that. Is that mall still open? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. It's, okay. It's scary now, but yeah. Okay. Because we, we, uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure was shot, uh, out here. And, uh, the mall that they shot at just closed down, was it last year? Um, last Which summer? Uh, oh my gosh. Not Chris yes. Town. Um, I have a million Bill and Ted fans just yelling at me right now. Uh, uh Metro Center. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was either Metro. Yeah, yeah, that was one of my guesses. Yeah, Metro Center Mall. So you yeah. can't even you can't even visit it anymore. But they did one last tour. Uh, a bunch of Bill and Ted fans descended upon Metro Center Mall. They all had I think it was last summer because I think they had masks on and they, they filmed and you there was the elevator where Jane Weedlin was doing the aerobics, you know, in front of and yeah. things like that. So that's why I asked if it was still open. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it. It's still a, an open mall. And there's actually little. Yeah, there's little um, Romero in and and little Dawn of the Dead stuff all around it. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, yeah, that's it's Pittsburgh, it's Romero, it's zombies. Um, it's I've been a lot of different places, and Western PA specifically Pittsburgh takes their George Romero and their zombie movies very, oh, yeah, very definitely. seriously. Um, Yep, I even I went out to the, the airport from Dawn of the Dead was out in Pittsburgh. I've been to the cemetery. I've been I actually got to to sh, uh, to work on an independent movie in the mines with Laurie Cardiel and John Amplis from Day of the Dead. Oh wow. Yeah, it, yeah nice. I'm I'm a nerd. Um, oh no, that's that. <clears throat> have you have you watched the amusement park yet? It's on my list of things to do. Okay. Uh, yeah, I had, oh, I had a to bunch it, of stuff to he'll do. He'll get to it. <laughs> we had, uh, I, I hosted a screening of it last weekend because they were allowing theatrical bookings before it hit Shutter, and so it was it was filmed at a certain at a like a, a, a fairgrounds out your way, but it was it was restored using two beaten up 16 millimeter mm -hmm. prints. 
And so I, I'm just curious uh, what you'll think of it after you, yeah, after it's, you watch uh, it. I, I do know for that was that's been real. Like I'm a Romero nerd since before zombies became popular. Zombies used to be weird. I'm I'm old <laughs> enough now where I'm like the crap that used to everybody looked at me funny for liking is now popular. Yeah, um, but yeah, they've been talking about that that movie for years as being lost, and then like you said, they found a couple 16 millimeter prints, and that's it's it's nice to see that I get dusted off and actually get put out there. Um, you say you take you 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 take recommendations. You might have seen or shown these, but I have two movies that you should have on your radar. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. Hit me with them. All right, first one is one that we actually covered, and I talked to the filmmakers. Um, it's called Bad CGI Sharks. And it's really amazing and different. It's not what you think it is. Whoa. Yeah, I that is not at all on my radar. Yeah, bad CGI sharks. It's an independent film shot out in I think LA or Hollywood. And and you could you could check it out. It's it's I know it's been released. It just got released in Japan. It's it's a great movie. I monster you saw, right? We covered it. Yeah, we covered that on Shitty Shark Show podcast. Yeah, it, it's 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 not what you think it is, and those dudes are awesome. And then the other one, uh, have you seen Benny Loves You yet? I have not. That's the one with the like the stuffed little yeah, it's an animal, English, stuffed little, it's an little English puppet. film, and okay. it is it is gloriously and gleefully and unapologetically just weird and bloody. Okay. Yes, I have heard of that one because I think I actually I asked Danny about it actually. <clears throat> Um, and we're we're actually busy planning the horror for yeah, July. Uh, so her, uh, her girlfriend Tiffany Blim uh, actually uh, interviewed the director, if I'm correct, or somebody that had to do with the film. I think it was the director of that film. Yeah, so. I think she, I think she did. Yeah, yeah, we're friends on we're friends on Facebook. So I'll I'll bring it up to Danny again and see. Maybe it'll be a because I've I've seen it around a couple of horror critics out here. Sarah Stubbs, I think her name is, who does Geeks Who Eat. Um, she's a huge fan of it also. And yeah. Danny and Tiffany really liked it, so um, that could That's, be uh, that could it's be a real a fun crowd one. pleaser. I, I guarantee it. I have yet to talk to somebody who doesn't love it. That's no, that's super exciting because I remember I I sort of made us screen Willie's Wonderland when that one was coming out nice. uh, yeah. over Valentine's. I was out of town. I was up in Sedona when um, the movies were being booked that week, and so our our director of operations was was booking the movies, and he didn't make the connection that Willie's Wonderland was the new Nick Cage movie. Because Nick Cage yeah. always slays, especially at Tempe. Like when Mandy was re-released last year, like it it killed. And we had boxes of of Cheddar Goblin that we handed out. That was from Legion. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So uh, I I was like, oh no, like we need to, we need to push to get Willy's Wonderland. I know it's Valentine's Day week, and I know we're expecting it to be, you know, somewhat crowded earlier this yeah. year. But Willy's Wonderland like held over for a couple weeks, and it was like the number one like late night show. You know, so you can these these horror cult genre, they 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 help us at eight and nine o'clock at night. You're not kids. You're not seeing. You're not filling a show of Raya and the Last Dragon yeah. at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. You know, but you will be able to fill a screening of things, or you know something like something like that. So um, I as as popular as Willy's Wonderland was, I was looking at Benny Loves You because I was like, this is sort of in that vein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's awesome. It, it well, really is kind of that maniacal sort of craziness. So as we wrap up here, I wanted to um, talk a little bit real quick because um, we're running out of time here. But mentioning Danny. So um, by the time this episode comes out, it'll probably be done already. But um, you're having a, uh, a charity benefit type screening there coming up here next week. And 
it, it benefits Mulligan's Manor, which is an uh, LGBTQ um, home out here, half, like a halfway home type of thing for youths. And it's one of only three in the United States. And so it's a really uh, big deal. Uh, you guys did it in two, 2019, and now you're doing it again this year because finally that you're open back up. And Danny was, <laughs> um, you know, helping do all that. And she's showing a film called Sound of Violence. And they're doing a big raffle um, with a ton of prizes from all over the place. Wow. Um, Ridiculous. Yeah. So many prizes that you got. I mean, it's going to be one of the b- coolest things, you know. So if you're if you're able to, I know this isn't going to. So hopefully, uh, I mean, whoever attends, attends. I mean, this will probably be out after it's already um <laughs> gone and played but i just thought that was an awesome thing that you do and you know helping out charities but also at the same time uh you know giving us horror nerds a chance to go back and sit in the theater and enjoy some really cool uh, pictures and things like that and i I just appreciate everything you do so much and i mean all of us out here in arizona do and especially you know horror nerds in general because anybody who plays things the films that you guys play over there and that you have picked yourself uh you know we're all appreciative of that and we all enjoy it and love it. And, um, and uh, big props to Danny, which Danny, you're going to have to, you're probably not going to hear this, but you're gonna have to come on the dang podcast at sometimes I, I almost had her on it before, but then she backed out because she doesn't like to do that kind of thing. But, oh, I'll talk to her. She yeah, needs yeah, to. Get her, yeah. Get her into it. Cause I mean, <laughs> I've had everybody, she, almost everybody she knows out here on the show. So it's like, come on, you got to get on it too. But, uh, but yeah, so I, I just want to say thank you for all that and appreciate it. And, um, you know, as the horror mo- horror community um, really appreciates you and, and everything you've done for us. And so as we wrap up, I wanted to give you a chance to um, uh, pimp out or promote anything you have that you want people to maybe know about that's coming up in the next couple of months. Oh, my gosh. We haven't even put some of our July programming on till yet, but we hopefully will. Oh, no, I don't think I have anything. Every Tuesday, though, we do show a horror movie at Tempe at eight o'clock. So if you are listening and it doesn't matter like what Tuesday it is, um, you can come out to the location in Tempe and watch a horror movie at eight o'clock every Tuesday. It's hosted. There are always, you know, raffle prizes. You get a free raffle ticket res next week with Sound of Violence. It's a paid raffle because the cash is being directly donated to Mulligan's Manor. But we try and just make it fun and, and get you really excited and enthusiastic about the movies. And hopefully by the time that this comes out, we'll also have some 35 millimeter screenings on the books. Because there's there's a lot that I would like to show. It's a taxi driver anniversary this year, um, so I'd I'd love to show that. There uh, there's a brand new print of Hard Target oh, that nice. was actually struck by Universal a couple years ago. So I would love to be able to book a print of Hard Target. So yeah, if you can just check us out online, it's drafthouse.com/phoenix, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at that movie is fine. <laughs> you did that. I saw that the other day. That's that's hilarious. <laughs> You're like, you uh, called or you said you rang? I'm like, yep, here we go. I was like, awesome. Yeah, there I, I it's my my little motto is you know that movie you love, I probably think it's fine. So yeah. <laughs> but no, I I I love all the cult and genre movies. I mean, obviously with Sylvester Stallone and I I watch I'm making my way through the Canon films catalog, but so it's sort of a joke, but it's also like a lot of the movies I didn't grow up with, I don't have a connection to. So a lot of them I'm like, yeah, eh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the movies she shows, the horror movies, they're all the best ones, basically. They don't, I haven't seen her play anything that people haven't showed up for. And I thought that was really cool that, um, you know, like Harkins and AMC aren't even having as many uh, people show up. But the Alamo, especially the one in Tempe with the horror stuff, it's people are still just 
you know, starting to come back and show their support. So we appreciate you. We uh, appreciate everything you do. Thank you for coming on. Um, we have to have yeah, you on the very podcast much. again at some other point so we can talk even more and talk some of your favorite movies and things like that, which I didn't really get a chance to touch on uh, due to time constraints here. But so appreciate you and um, thank you for everything. Thank you so much for having me on. I had a blast. So anytime. So great. And that'll do it for uh, this episode of In the Mouth of Monster. I'm Monster Dugan. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.